engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Good evening. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. WSB. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. I have had multiple phone calls. Well, I, I so I had two phone calls from two different people. They was just, just really office gossip. They hadn't talked to me in a while. Wanted to get my take on the Kavanaugh hearing, uh, a couple of members of the Senate. And then uh, the, their conversations, though, led to a couple other conversations, which led to some more conversations. And there's a real worry in Washington that the Bob Woodward book is going to be what causes the president to get impeached, not the Russia collusion investigation. So I was talking to a couple of members of Congress today. And then a couple of other members and wound up being, I guess, five or six members of Congress. And here's what they're thinking. The Democrats are more and more convinced there's not a there there, despite their public protestations. They're really thinking that Bob Mueller is not going to pin anything on the president. That uh, there may be people who the Russians influenced who tried to influence the election, but you can't pin this directly on the president, so you can't impeach the president for that. There is no high crime or misdemeanor there. And the other issue is, if it happened before he was president, do they really have constitutional grounds for high crimes and misdemeanors? Because it's a generally held convention that when you impeach the president, it involves high crimes and misdemeanors in office. Which brings me to the Bob Woodward book. A little, there's been so much this week. Come on, y'all. This is crazy. Do you realize we had a summit with North Korea this year in Singapore? Uh, all, all the stuff we've had this year. It is like the news cycle moves at warp speed. Ludicrous speed, even. And, well, now we're at this point where the Bob Woodward book is coming out. It's been overshadowed by Anonymous in the New York Times. And now, by the way, Nikki Haley has an op-ed out today in the Washington Post saying, number one, it's not her. And number two, she disagrees with the president all the time and she doesn't do his face, coward. Um, That's her take. But nonetheless, so one of the claims that the Woodward book makes is that President Trump ordered General Secretary Mattis now, Secretary Mattis, the defense secretary, to assassinate Bashar al-Assad after he used chemical weapons on his people. According to the book, and Woodward says he has recordings with the senior people in the administration who confirmed the details to him. And by the way, the story has come out from other sources as well. The president called Secretary Mattis and instructed him to formulate a plan to assassinate the leader of Syria that Secretary Mattis basically told the president, man, no one else has the guts to do what you're doing, Mr. President. You're awesome, Mr. President. Love you, buddy. Hung up and instructed his staff that there was no way on God's good earth they would ever do that, which is apparently standard operating procedure at the CIA, uh, the Department of Defense, and the State Department when it comes to stuff like this, that this isn't the first time the president's done something like this. So... There's an executive order. It was drafted by Gerald Ford, and it prohibits uh, any government official from collaborating in or attempting to assassinate the leader of another country. Now, pause, because I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, this is a presidential order. And if President Trump gives a presidential order, he's overruling the executive order. 
I know you're thinking that because I thought that too. And I was informed by a senator today that that's not the way it works. See, if you have a presidential executive order put on the books, the president can overrule and repeal that executive order anytime he wants. Congress has no involvement in this. But there is a formal procedure by which the president must, in writing, repeal the prior executive order. And President Trump did not do that. So an executive order is not a law, but it has the weight of authority of law. If any member of the government participates in the assassination of a world leader, it is a violation of that executive order and it is a crime. And the president ordered his secretary of defense to do just that. Now, I'm explaining this. I'm not endorsing. I'm explaining. This is what Republicans are worried about on Capitol Hill this afternoon and this morning, that according to the details of the Woodward book that are forthcoming, the president tried to commit this assassination. Uh, his defense staff refused to do it. They came up with a different plan, and the president apparently was rather bitter about it, but he went along with it. And uh, there is this issue that the Democrats may use this as the predicate act to begin an impeachment inquiry. And really all they want is the photo op of General Mattis being sworn in under oath, refusing to answer questions because of executive privilege. They, they want that photo op. They believe they can convince the American people. They can't. Nobody cares about the Russia collusion investigation anymore except Democrats who still can't acknowledge that Hillary Clinton was a terrible candidate. But apparently, from what I'm being told, it was explained to the president that if you were to assassinate Bashar al-Assad and it was found out that it was us, then the Syrians have a treaty with the Russians and you would start World War III. The Russians are obligated to defend the Syrians. So you assassinate him, the Russians are going to fight back. And suddenly we're at war with Russia. That's why you don't do it. And apparently the president was very dismissive of it. That's the case the Democrats allegedly would make. The Republicans are nervous about today. Here's the thing, though. There's my analysis of what's going on. Let me give you my opinion. Dude launched chemical weapons against his own people. Some people need killing, and he might be one of them. Do the Democrats really think that they're going to be able to build a case for impeachment against the president because he tried to kill someone who committed genocide? Really? I mean, are they really going to argue over whether you should have killed Hitler or not? I mean, that's essentially what we're doing. You know, Bashar al-Assad, his political party, the Ba'athist party in Syria, is the Middle Eastern successor party of the Nazis. And I'm not making that up, and it is not hyperbole. The Ba'athist party leaders were Arab leaders who went to Germany, who worked with Hitler, who moved back to the Middle East to build a Nazi party, and they called it the Ba'athist party. That's still, the, they are essentially the, the Nazi party. And you're really going to argue that the president should be impeached for trying to take the guy out. But anyway, Republicans today, Capitol Hill, they're a little bit worried about that. They're a little bit concerned that this book coming out from Bob Woodward, it's been overshadowed by Mr. or Miss Anonymous in the New York Times, but it's about to just pour out uh, right before the midterms. It's not going to be useful. Uh, Obama's now on the campaign trail helping the Democrats. I'm not sure Obama's helping the Democrats, though. I mean, they've been set back to the late 1800s with all the losses they've had. And it sounds like some of the stuff he said today is designed to keep the Democrats out of power forever. 
Uh, we'll get into some of his audio. Yeah, I'm, I'm, look, I want to juxtapose Obama's audio and Trump's audio. Trump's audio really funny, his response to Barack Obama today. We'll get into that when we come back. It's 25 after the hour. There's rain in the area. We'll get to that. Yes. Now, when we come back, we got to juxtapose Obama and Trump. And I, y'all... Barack Obama is just the gift that keeps on giving the Republican Party. He went out today and went after guns again. He is doing nothing. You know, the, the polling has come out, and it's Labor Day polling. So why Brian Kemp and Stacey Abrams are tied. Labor Day polling, beneficial to the Democrats to have your polls come out then. That's why there's suddenly a massive drop in the president's popularity and a massive spike for the generic ballot for the Democrats. It's all holiday polling. Misses a lot of Republicans. Um, but... Obama has come out and said, guns, guns, guns. We got to get rid of the guns. Cites the Parkland students, ignores the Parkland students who aren't in favor of this. Well, President Trump responded to him. And I just, you know what? Let's see. I think I've got time to play this Obama clip real quick. Yeah. You're tired of politicians who offer nothing but thoughts and prayers. After a mass shooting, you've got to do what the Parkland kids are doing. Some of them aren't even eligible to vote yet. They're out there working to change minds and registering people. And they're not giving up until we have a Congress that sees your lives as more important than a campaign check from the NRA. You've got to vote. There you go. He's back to attacking NRA voters. Listen to President Trump respond. What do you think of President Obama's speech? And I said, I'm sorry, I watched it, but I fell asleep. (laughs) I found he's very good. Very good for sleeping. We got. I want to play you the the full clip of President Trump, and then Ben Sass's civics lesson to the Senate is is also worth hearing. We will get into all that and a lot more when we come back. It's thirty seven after the hour, and yeah, there's rain. And it's moving in from the east to the west. Um, I want to play more of the the extended clip of the president responding to Barack Obama. I, I don't want to play any more of Barack Obama. I really don't. Uh, we've heard enough of him, and he's just going to help the Republicans, I hope. Uh, going after Republicans and guns, not smart. The Democrats should learn their lesson. Here's the president, the president, the current president, responding. What do you think of President Obama's speech and I said I'm sorry I watched it but I fell asleep I found he's very good very good for sleeping I think he was trying to take some credit he was trying to take credit for this incredible thing that's happening to our country if the Democrats got and I have to say this to President Obama and it wasn't him, but would have been the same thing. If the Democrats got in with their agenda in November of almost two years ago, instead of having 4.2 up, I believe, honestly, you'd have 4.2 down. You'd be negative. You'd be in negative numbers right now. You'd be in negative numbers. Yeah, you know, it's really disingenuous of Barack Obama to try to claim an economic turnaround. Uh, and he's been out of office for two years, and suddenly we're we're having growth that we never had when Barack Obama was president. We're having uh, low unemployment in ways we never had with Barack Obama, and it all comes after President Trump's tax cuts. 
Funny how that works. See, here's the thing. Listen to me. Listen to me. Oh, this is an example of why Obama the campaign trail isn't good for the Democrats. I, I'm not a huge fan of President Trump. I like a lot of what his administration does. I love a lot of his policies. I have a number of dear friends who work for this president. There's some really good longtime friends of mine work for him, some in many prominent positions, including the vice president, who I've known for a long time. And it's the president, it's his character. I just, I wish he would be a better person. But his policies, by and large, tariffs suck, but he's got some great stuff. And I, when you got Barack Obama coming out trying to, to take credit for all the stuff that Donald Trump has done, I'm like, dude, this is Donald Trump who did this. It's not you. You would keep the economy screwed up with your socialist economic agenda. Donald Trump has cut taxes. He's cut your stupid regulations that were killing small businesses. And the economy has exploded and unemployment has gone down because of Donald Trump turning his back on your policies. And I, I got to stand up for Donald Trump here. I do. Uh, if the choice were between Donald Trump and Barack Obama, Barack Obama may be the same stable option, but he's also a socialist leftist who tried to force nuns to kill children with his policies. And I'm not going to go in that direction. That's just that that's awful. Uh, we should not forget. You know, he, he wanted to, to sing praises of Christians. I, I know there are Christians out there who they, they, they want to fight global warming. You know Christians out there who you tried to force to pay for the murder of children. And the Supreme Court stops you. And now all your folks, I mean, they had some woman before the Senate today say, oh, if Brad Kavanaugh gets on the Supreme Court, he's going to stop me from getting birth control and I'm going to buy a house for $1,000. How do you like that audio? It's just absolutely insane. I mean, these people are just on un- Literally, you had a oh, you you had a, a a guy before the Senate today testify. Brad Kavanaugh wants to take away my health care because he's already voted to do it. He hasn't voted to take away your health care. He's voted that it was unconstitutional. And this this woman stands up. It's some sort of oh, what is this? I. I, I haven't even, oh, yes, she's an ordained minister from Indiana, and she's pro-life, and she thinks Brett Kavanaugh going to take away access to birth control. Really? Brett Kavanaugh is going to take away your right to birth control? First of all, it's not a right. And then really, you, you really, you really think he's going to do this? If you think he's going to do this, you're no different than Alex Jones, you psychopath. He's not going to take away your birth control. Oh, but all these people, like, all he's doing is saying something is or is not constitutional. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. He's not taking anything away. And what does it say to you that you think the government somehow needs to be providing you birth control or you're not going to be able to get it uh, if, if someone's on the Supreme Court? Maybe that should actually tell you that the Supreme Court is too powerful. But no, it's not. This whole hearing today was ridiculous. And Cory Booker still doubling down on, I really did break the, break the law, man. I really broke the law. It's like, no, actually, you, no, no, I broke the law, man. Don't tell me I didn't break the law. I broke the I wanted to break the law. <laughs> it's just that the Democrats have come out looking hysterical today. The biggest winner in the entire Brett Kavanaugh hearing is Michael Avenetti, Stormy Daniels lawyer, who's out there mocking the Democrats for screwing up the hearing. 
Uh, you know, meanwhile, I, I got to play Ben Sass. He, he provided a moment of sanity today, and he's spot on, on on this nonsense we have witnessed this week from the Democrats on the Judiciary Committee. I mean, the, the Senate is a broken institution. The Congress is a broken institution. We don't deliberate about long-term things. People want, you, you all have an important role uh, to help narrate what's happening in American life, but senators shouldn't aspire to be pundits all day, every day. And most people's goals here are short-term popularity and news hits and sort of middle-term re-election. There's very little long-term thinking about what the country needs. And when the day Data shows that high school kids in America can't pass basic civics tests. They don't know we have three branches of government. They think the First Amendment is dangerous because you might use your free speech to say something that hurts somebody else's feelings. We got long-term crisis of civics and public trust in this country, and these hearings this week haven't made any of that better. We've made it worse. Yes, yes, I I got to. So the hearings are winding down. Listen, y'all. I so I've got a friend of mine who is a die-hard Democrat. And we get along very well because we do not talk politics. Um, he's we we've bonded over small batch bourbons, and we we just we we don't talk politics because we do not agree politically. But the subject of Brett Kavanaugh came up, and he is convinced, convinced that the Democrats did real damage to Kavanaugh. He really is. He's convinced that the Democrats did damage to Kavanaugh. And I'm like, you're, you're, you're insane. At the end of this month, Merrick Garland is not going to be a Supreme Court justice, and Brett Kavanaugh is. That is the reality of this. I saw some left-wing billionaire protester say that the shadow of Merrick Garland looms over this. No, it doesn't. The light from Neil Gorsuch signed so brightly it eliminated Merrick Garland's shadow. It's not going to happen, people. Get over it. Move on. Move to other... Th- you know, the Democrats, it strikes me, the Democrats who are still screaming about Merrick Garland are much like the Republicans still screaming about Hillary Clinton's emails. It's time to move on. Move on. They're, they're not relevant anymore. Just move on to other things. And nobody seems to want to move on to other things. So it is 53 after the hour, and I've got to tell you, um, I I don't want to engage in any more speculation on the who done it in the White House, and, and they're they're actively launching. But I'll tell you who's who is launching a more furious investigation than the White House over who wrote the anonymous op-ed, the New York Times. Because the New York Times reporters were completely cut out of the loop, and they really feel shafted by their editorial department, and they're on the hunt to figure out who this is. Uh, Gabe Sherman at the Vanity Fair, who has a lot of inside White House sources, uh, says that uh, Javanka, Jared and Ivanka, they're blaming John Kelly, and there other people out there looking, trying to figure out who did this. Um, some people suggest that it was the deputy chief of staff, Zach Fuentes, who you've never heard of, uh, but he is John Kelly's right-hand man. I have no idea. I don't want to engage in the speculation anymore because what I'm finding is that 
people are now using this to finger the person they hate the most in the White House. So if you're a White House staffer and you hate John Kelly, well, then you're saying, oh, he's the one. He's the one. I can prove it. If, if you hate um, Kellyanne Conway, you say, oh, she did it. She did it. I, I can fairly well be confident in saying she is not it. Uh, people have fingered the vice president. And, and nope. I mean, whoever you hate in the White House is your guy. And that's not the way this stuff works. This is probably someone you've never heard of, even if they are influential. I just, I don't want to engage in the speculation any further than than what has been engaged with. But man, people are still melting down over this stuff in the White House. And of course, the president today got some good news. Barack Obama got out on the campaign trail. Donald Trump has been relishing the opportunity. You know, in, so in 2016, it was Trump versus Hillary, and he made a big deal out of Hillary. He's never really had the opportunity to go directly after Barack Obama on the campaign trail because it was all focusing on Hillary. So now the president gets to go after Barack Obama, and he's doing so in a flippant, humorous way that I think is rather spot on, rather useful for the president to do to laugh about it and make jokes and say, oh, he's he's great. He's great for putting me to sleep. I, I think that's the way you got to handle this stuff. I really do. Real quick, look, I, I, I probably I can turn off the radar here uh, because the storms are starting to wind down for the afternoon. But you do need to know right now, there is heavy rain over the perimeter on the east side at I-20. Uh, and it stretches really almost from Decatur uh, down, uh, not quite to Stockbridge, but uh, there's some really heavy rain there and it's moving towards the connector. It's moving from east to west. So it's going to be over I-20 inside the perimeter for the next little while headed towards the connector. There's also some storms over the airport and um, we're 85 and the connectors are 85 and 285 split. Uh, Union City, Fairburn, there's some very heavy rain in that area. And down towards Sonoya, moving towards Peachtree City, there are some storms. Uh, Whitesburg and Carrollton, you're getting some rain. And most of this is all south of I-20 now. But it's really, as the sun goes down, these storms, they're not gaining in strength. They're, they're setting, shutting down. If you head towards Athens, though... Uh, there are, nobody's going to Athens this weekend. Poor old Jay Black had to go to Columbia to cover the, the UGA game in South Carolina this weekend. Uh, but if you are going to Athens to grab a drink or something, well, there's heavy thunderstorms in that area right now and up north of Cartersville on 75. But when we come back, I, I want to actually switch gears pretty dramatically, move away from politics. Um, I, dare I call it a, a, a sermon? Well, well, let's let's talk about what all happened this past week in terms of well holding grudges. It is Eric Erickson here, News 95.5 AM 750 WSB, the phone number 404-872-0750-1800-WSB-TALK. I'm, I, I, I'm deviating from the script. 
uh, we're just going to make this a sermon Friday because I've been I've been wanting to get this off my chest. Maybe I need a podcast or another show where I, I can get all the the other stuff off my chest that I sometimes save up and pour out. But we're we're going to have a pour out moment. I I wrote about this at the Resurgent this week, but I really I I want to spend some time with you guys on this issue. Uh, because, and I don't, I don't mean this disrespectful. I really don't. But the butt Hillary stuff. We are in 2018. She's been out of power for more than two years, and you turn on Hannity in the afternoon, and there we're still rehashing Clinton emails, um, fostering this sense of grievance. Still, um, when does grievance end? She's no longer in power. You can say she still needs to go to jail. She's not going to jail. Uh, and when do we move on or do we let these things continue to fester? And, and this is, I, I don't intend this to be political at all. I don't intend it to be about the president or, or Hillary Clinton or anybody else. Uh, it, it's just it seems like we have at this point in this country's history reached a point where no one can let anything go. Uh, and the internet it lets all this fester. Scott Jennings, he's a Republican uh, commentator on CNN last night. Uh, someone told him that, you know, you can find everything you've ever written on the internet. And, and he just responded humorously. Oh, my goodness. I had no idea that the internet kept everything you've ever done in your life online. And I replied back to him and said, the internet not only remembers, it holds grudges. And it does. And I'm just wondering at what point people remember that they're supposed to forgive. Um, I, so I wrote, a, I wrote a piece earlier this week. I, I had been meaning to talk about it and just, there's been so much going on that I haven't had a chance and it's Friday afternoon. You're stuck in your car. You're mad as heck at the person in front of you who cut you off. You're stewing over it. You're trying to get home. And can I just say, I, I you, you guys know I'm an evangelical Christian. I, I'm, I'm in seminary. I've been going to RTS, uh, up in Marietta, transferred to Southeastern Baptist, although there are days I think I need the classroom structure at RTS, and, and I may have to go back. I, I miss going to class at RTS. Uh, I don't have the money for RTS right now, though. So, um, But just we need a little more forgiveness. And I think sometimes that people of faith dwell so much on the empty tomb in Christianity that we forget the cross. And, and you can't diminish the empty tomb. You can't because the empty tomb is how we get eternal life. You you, you believe, you repent, and you, you get eternal life. You, you repent and you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and, and you got eternal life. And so we can't devalue, we can't diminish, we can't understate the importance of that empty tomb. But what about the cross? I, I, I just I kind of think that in this day and age in our present politics with everybody at each other's throats, we, we need a little more cross and a little less empty tomb. Not to dismiss the empty tomb, but we gotta spend a little more time focusing on the cross and and what happened there because gosh, people are just so angry with each other right now. And this week the Kavanaugh hearings, the the aftermath of the McCain funeral, the everybody yelling at each other. You got the Gary Kasparov, the chess player, on Twitter saying, never ever forgive people who supported Donald Trump. I mean, you're supposed to forgive. And if I could just have a moment on forgiveness, you know, if we rewind from the tomb to the cross, um, here's this guy, Jesus is Nazareth. He, he's a historical figure. Let, let's, let's just 
pull out for a second for those who aren't believers. Let's just pull out Son of God. Just that this is a this is an actual human being. By the standards we judge history, we know he lived. There's more written about him in contemporary times than there is about Nero or Socrates or, or others of that time period. We know this man lived. We know his history. We know his life. Uh, we know it from eyewitness accounts. We know it from historic accounts. We know it from the historic researchers who lived within 50 to 100 years of his life. Uh, this is a man who he was savagely beaten to within an inch of his life. He was tortured terribly. He had a crown of thorns forced onto his head, cutting into his scalp, and he was nailed to a cross. Roman crucifixion. And before he gave out, before he expired, before he died, he mustered the strength from that cross to say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And there's a later story, even backed up by more people, contemporary people, documenting the truth of it. And this is the very first martyr in the Christian faith, a man named Stephen, who was stoned to death. And as he's dying, he screams out, Lord, Lord, don't hold their sins against them. And so the, the first two dramatic deaths of the Christian faith, uh, Jesus on the cross and the first martyr, Stephen, both of them, as they're dying, urge that God forgive people. And what is relevant for this purpose and discussion is there was no proviso, there was no provision, there was no footnote, there was no qualification, there was no caveat, there was no parenthetical that said, forgive them, but only if they properly apologize as I want them to apologize. There was no, they got to repent before we, before I forgive or before you forgive, just, just no, it was simply, Father, forgive them, period. Don't hold their sins against them, Lord, period. No footnotes there. And I encounter people all the time when I say this, you got to be more forgiving. You got to say, oh, I will. The moment they forgive, the, the, the moment they apologize for what they did me, the moment they repent, the moment they come forward and say they're sorry. That's not what God did on the cross. Jesus on the cross. Stephen being so, they, they didn't say, well, yeah, God forgive them, but they need to come forward and they need to make a public confession of their sins before you forgive them for what they've done to me. Now, in our relationship, and don't misunderstand me, in my, our relationship between us and God, you got to repent. You, you got to confess your sins. You got to acknowledge you're a sinner. That's part of the process. Scripture's clear. But between me and you, I don't get to set the parameters by which I forgive. I'm just supposed to forgive you. And don't at me. Don't, don't call here and complain because as I'm telling you, that is the example of Jesus on the cross. That is the example of Stephen the martyr. Just forgive let it go. Move beyond it. Doesn't mean you have to trust them. Doesn't mean you have to like them. Doesn't mean you, you, you have to now suddenly be friendly with them and let them back into your life. Your, your loved one who you can't forgive or, or what have you. But I'm telling you this, I'm telling you this, the most important thing I will say on radio this year, probably, if you're saying you can't forgive someone, what you're saying is what that person did to you is worse than what happened to Christ on the cross. And if you think it is, you don't appreciate what happened to him. Otherwise, you need to let him, you need to forgive him. You don't need to, you don't need to be friends with them. But if you don't forgive them, if you don't exercise forgiveness, if you don't show some grace, what you're actually doing is you're letting them exercise power over you. So maybe we need to, and I don't want to quote Elsa, but let it go. Maybe we need to be able to move on. This this pin up anger at people. Y'all, 
Jesus of Nazareth, whether you accept he was the, the son of God or he was just a man, he's on that cross, he's dying, he's been tortured, he's been beaten, he's got this crown of thorns, and he's been nailed to the cross. The others around him tied to crosses. He's nailed to the cross, and he says, forgive them. No footnotes, no provisos, no caveats, no carve-outs, no parentheticals, just forgive them. Maybe we should be doing more of that to each other instead of yelling at each other. Welcome back, Gary Erickson here. I, honestly, y'all, I, I feel somewhat unburdened by having had that monologue in that time. But I, I, I just, I'm, so the, the McCain funeral was like a, it, it is like a Rorschach test. Um, it, there is no doubt this past Saturday that there were lines in Megan McCain's eulogy and in others that were directed at President Trump. The the uh, John McCain's America doesn't need to be made great again because it's already great. I mean, clearly a shot at the president. Uh, her line about uh, others have never been through what her dad went through. I mean, clearly it was at the president. But it, it was funny to me as well that there were a number of lines that were just about McCain's legacy, that John McCain uh, always stood up to bullies. I mean, that's something you was said about John McCain before Trump got on the scene and, and things like that. And people took it. Oh, that that's another slam. Uh, Joe Laberman slamming the president or, or George Bush or, or Barack Obama slamming. And, and it was just, it was a statement about the character of John McCain. And I just, I, I noted on Twitter that, you know, if you're listening to some of these things and you're taking them as slams on the president, where there's just statements of character of McCain, you're way more defensive than you should be. And I got some blowback from that. And I just thought, you know, just, just let it be. Yes. Let's acknowledge there were some lines there, but they weren't all. And and then it got into the, it turned into the mess about Hillary and the emails and just like, when do people stop having grievances? Y'all people are consumed by this stuff. I do it for a living. And what I'm finding is I got a life, you know, as I've grown up, I have grown up, and what I'm finding, there are a lot of people, the older they get, the more bitter they get, the more angry they get, and it's like that they're they're clinging to this life, and they can't let things go, and oh my gosh, so what's going to happen after I'm gone? Well, you know what's going to happen after you're gone? You're not going to care because you're going to be dead, so you might as well enjoy life now and, and work to, to make it better, and not make it better by politics, but make it better by having a family, and having a good family, and having a happy family, and a loving family. I tell my kids all the time, show people more grace and forgiveness than you will ever expect to be shown. And I think everybody should do that. I got to work on this too. I'm no saint here. I'm a sinner. I'm a pretty big sinner. I, I'm, I'm an awful sinner. I mean, I, I got stuff. I, I have been been praying nonstop for the last couple of weeks. I, I feel like God's got me on, on block now, blocking my calls. I've been bothering him so much on stuff, but I mean, we, we got to all do a better job praying and forgiving people. And we don't do enough of that as a society these days. And it is just pouring out now in everything that the, from the Kavanaugh hearings to just uh, people said, I'm never going to forgive people for voting for Trump. They don't want to be forgiven first of all, but two, it's, it's not your business to say they must come forward and dictate the terms on how you can forgive. You're just supposed to do it. People I don't want to talk about the Kaepernick ad, but just do it. Just forgive people. We'll be back.
a rather careful listener uh, during the break um, emailed and said, you're saying you're, you're spending a lot of time praying. What are you praying about? Can we pray for you? You know, I, I can always use prayer. I just got a, a really neat opportunity, particularly possibly on the horizon. And I'm, I'm praying I get it and um, that, that everybody wins. I'm, I'm just, I'm excited. I don't know that it's actually going to happen. I hope it happens. I, I really do. It's kind of a dream come true sort of situation. Um, w- would not interfere with me and you. It's just, it's, it's a cool thing. I don't want to spoil it. Um, if it happens, I'll tell you about it, but, uh, yeah, been praying about that. I'm, I'm excited by the potential for cool things in the future. Uh, and I don't want to spend time here talking about it. I do want to talk about the Nike ad, I think, because I really should talk about this ad, even though I don't want to. Let me play part of this for you. You know, the, the Colin Kaepernick promo. Uh, listen to some of this ad. This is from Nike. If people say your dreams are crazy, if they laugh at what you think you can do, good. Stay that way. Because what non-believers fail to understand is that calling a dream crazy is not an insult. It's a compliment. Don't try to be the fastest runner in your school or the fastest in the world. Be the fastest ever. Don't picture yourself wearing OBJ's jersey. Picture OBJ wearing yours. Don't settle for homecoming queen or linebacker. Do both. Lose 120 pounds and become an Iron Man after beating a brain tumor. Don't believe you have to be like anybody to be somebody. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'll just I, I'll I'll leave that one there. Um, we don't need to go any further with it. You know, what I saw was an ad that had it come out like this and not with the print campaign first. It wouldn't be very controversial. Nike wanted it to be controversial. Uh, so they released the poster first of, of you know, sacrifice, just do it. Um, what I saw in that commercial were some really amazing athletes who had overcome amazing struggles and one guy who hasn't. Uh, all he did was take a knee uh, to the flag in the national anthem. Um, and I, I Nike, the, my problem with this ad is that I, I'm not a Nike guy to begin with. I, I like Under Armour. Uh, and, and I like some of the newer apparel companies that have come out and, and smaller companies that you you probably haven't heard of. And, and they're 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 liberal. Um, I'm actually I'm, I'm in a pair of shorts right now from a company called Roan. I, I love them. Uh, yeah, I have I'm, I'm doing the CrossFit thing again. People pray. That's that's what you can pray for me about. But uh, nonetheless, um, I, I'm not a Nike. I've, I've never really liked the quality of Nike products. Uh, never have. I've never liked Nike shoes. Uh, I like, uh, I'm wearing Brooks shoes right now and, um, I've don't think I have ever owned a pair of Nike shoes except when I was in high school and they fell apart so quickly. I just never wanted them again. Um, but I, I don't care. Nike wants me to care though. And that's when I have a problem about this. Everybody wants me to care about different political positions and stuff that I, I don't care about. Um, I don't care about the people taking the knee to the, the national anthem. I care about the national anthem and I'm not on their side. And if they want to do it, that's fine. But everybody thinks, oh, we should be able to do these things without consequence. Well, you know what? You're, you're offending a large segment of the American public and Nike's decided they're going to be on the side of those who are offending a large segment of the American public. And okay, that's that perfectly fine. That's Nike's choice. I don't have to go along with it. I'm not going to boycott them. I don't buy their stuff anyway. 
Um, but the fact that these corporations are trying to force me to care and not just to care, but to care on their side of things, I don't need a multi, uh, the multinational billion dollar company trying to make me care about public policy the way they want me to or social protest or whatnot. I just want a good product. I, I don't want to feel good about the product that I'm buying on a social cause front. I want to feel good about it because it's comfortable to wear or comfortable to use. And Nike wants to go social justice works. So fine, fine. It, it's hurt their stock price. I'm not a shareholder in Nike. Um, and I just, I think that it is amazing the number of profound and heroic athletes they covered in that ad all of whom are being overshadowed by the guy who really isn't a hero and isn't that great of an athlete, despite the hype around him from social justice warriors. And that's kind of pathetic. There were some real heroes in that ad. No one's paying attention to them. They're paying attention to the guy who narrated the thing. You know, that really is the thing with, I mean, whether it's Target and the transgender bathroom issue or this or Dick's Sporting Goods also being hurt, um, because of its anti-Second Amendment advocacy, I, I do not have enough time in the day to care about the politics of most businesses. I really don't. And I, I spend my day worrying about my family and my kids, worrying about my job, worrying about ratings, worrying about keeping you guys entertained. I just, I don't have enough time for this. I don't understand the people who do. It's like there's that story at a Qantas Airlines uh, where the woman it tweeted them very angrily, Qantas, I'm a doctor. I worked eight years to become a doctor and I expect to be called doctor. My ticket said doctor and I was called miss. Turns out the flight attendant who called the woman a miss is a miss, is, is a woman. And she wasn't being sexist, and yet she's being accused of sexism. A woman is being accused of sexism for not... And it's always, by the way, it's always the PhDs who care the most about being called a doctor. I've got a Juris Doctorate. I don't care about being called a doctor. I was a lawyer. We don't call ourselves doctors. I'm working on my PhD right now in theology. i got a preach coming up. I, I don't worry about somebody calling me doctor or not. I was on city council. I don't worry about people calling me honorable or not. <laughs> yeah, honorable. Just, I mean, who cares? I don't have enough time in the day to get worked up by this stuff. And the people who do seem to be terrible people. That's all I'm saying. Be a good person. Don't get worked up by nonsense. Too many people get worked up by nonsense. So I, listener, during the break, uh, direct messaged me on Twitter and asked what I was preaching on. I mentioned I was preaching. Uh, John chapter 7, there's this wonderful story. Jesus is essentially, he's walked on water now. Uh, there's the wedding in Cana. He's turned the water to wine. He's asked about eternal life, though, at the end of John chapter 6. And um, he says, um, no one can come to me unless it's granted him by the Father. And after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with them. And Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And then he goes to his brothers He's in Galilee. Uh, Jesus, in John chapter 7, I love John. John is my favorite book of the Bible. It is for a lot of people. I just, I love John. Uh, and essentially his brothers say, you know what? We're, we're tired of you. We're, we're tired of your nonsense. We're tired of the drama. Just just get out of town. Go to Jerusalem if you think you're hot stuff. And the implication there is, is go to Jerusalem, get yourself killed. 
and it's just it's amazing to me jesus himself had had squabbles with family i mean his, his family they, they tried to stage an intervention of him uh multiple times they they didn't believe him his mom the woman who had the angel appear knew he could turn water to wine could perform miracles his, his brothers and drag her out to try to stage an intervention with him he dealt with with family squabbles and you know what jesus god almighty in uh the word made flesh he can forgive his family and he can forgive people on the cross. He had family squabbles. He's been through that sort of stuff too. If you're dealing with someone in your family, if you're dealing with a friend and you just can't bring yourself to forgive them because of something they've done, you want them. You demand that they acknowledge that they've done you wrong. Just remember this weekend, Jesus didn't do that on the cross. He just said, father, forgive them. And you know what? That's God on the cross. God on the cross, he's willing to forgive them. Um, you're not God. You, you can't attach the condition of you must repent. You just got to forgive folks. So, so when you go out this weekend, when you're, you've got a, a brother, a sister, a child, a parent, a friend, a coworker, and you cannot forgive them, ask yourself if what they did to you is worse than what was done to Jesus on the cross. And if you think it is, go to church on Sunday and tell your preacher. But if not, just forgive them and move on. Don't let them control you because that's what you're doing. Y'all have a good weekend. I'll talk to you on Monday.